We're launching into a, serve, or a series called Not According to Plan uh, because the inevitability of life is that life doesn't go according to plan. <laughs> Hence my voice. So I just think God's like, oh, cool. You want an illustration? Here you go. Um, <clears throat> but the, the, the truth is, is that's, that's true for all of us. Uh, so I want to open up kind of a story um, about a, a day that didn't really go according to plan in my life. In fact, it was probably uh, for my wife, um, the worst date that she's ever been on. Okay. It was our third date. Um, but it, to tell you about our third date, you got to know about our first date. Um, our first date was a blind date. And this was not like a blind date, like some of your blind date where you saw the person and you swiped, right? And then you like met them. This was like a legitimate blind date. Never met before. Um, I had a friend. She had a friend, you know, go to dinner together, which again, for some of you, it's like, man, well, that's like a little too intimidating dinner. I'm like, hey, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. We're going all in. Okay. If, if, if this goes awful, we're going to be locked in until the check comes. Okay. So we went to um, Red Elephant. Uh, it was on Thomasville Road, kind of across the street from where four. Rivers is now. Had a wonderful time. Had a great second day. Went to Andrew's downtown. Again, dinner. Ended up walking around the whole downtown. Super romantic and and picturesque. Third date comes and you can't go to dinner again. Okay? You got to do something to switch it up or else your whole relationship is based around eating, which is not a bad thing. But... Um, I decided that we're going to go do an activity. Uh, I needed an activity that didn't get you disgusting because I don't think that any girl wants to go just get like messy on their third day. Or maybe you do, but at least my wife didn't. Um, wasn't my wife at the time, but I could kind of tell that that wasn't the, the best idea. And so I decided, you know, let's do something. I'm going to look manly. You're going to think I'm awesome. Let's go golf. Okay. <clears throat> let's go hit the, let's go hit the driving range. Now here's what you need to know about me. Your boy can play some golf. Okay. <clears throat> if you want to pay for me to play with you, I'll prove it to you. Okay. Now <laughs> it's like tithe, you know, just, just throwing it out there. You know, you pay for my golf anyway. Um, <clears throat> now the plan was to pick her up around five. Cause I had to speak at about eight 30 at this event. And, and one of the things that I just felt like was kind of like a really nerdy thing to do would be to say, hey, you should come hear me speak. And the reason that is, is it just seems so like self-absorbed, like, hey, why don't you go sit with all the, all the other people in the audience and just watch me for 30 minutes? Um, so I was going to pick her up, go to dinner, uh, drop her off, go speak, and then call it a night. <clears throat> but if you know anything about me, you also know one of the things that I am the best at, I mean, I'm fantastic at being late. Okay. I do it with the best of them. Um, and part of that's because I think things are going to take an hour. should only take about 30 minutes. And so I just put, you know, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And soon I'm like three hours late. Well, this one particular day, um, I was, I left about 15 minutes late. And so I know it was going to be at least 15 minutes late, but I, uh, did not take into account a little thing called five o'clock traffic driving across town. I was a legitimate third date, 45 minutes late for the first time I ever picked her up. Now, it worked out for us, but that's because God is good. Girls, if a guy ever does that, break up with him, okay? So we went and we played golf. Uh, and some of you guys, you, th- this is how the day goes. You know how it is. When you're late to one thing, it makes you unfortunately late to like literally everything else. Uh, so play golf and, you know, and I'm, you know, she didn't, wasn't a golfer, but I, she, I hit it and she's like, wow, you hit the ball that far? You know, no, she was probably just like, cool. Um, <clears throat> go play golf. And 
We're about to leave, and I'm looking at my, my watch, and obviously, I can be late for when the program starts when I'm supposed to speak, but I can't be late to go on stage. That's like one thing you just, I don't, I don't know what would happen, but you're just basically, for everybody there, you're, you're messing up their entire plan. So I knew I had to be on time for that, which means we only had one of two options. One was to just go straight home, drop her off. Thanks for going to the driving range. I appreciate you. Um, I'll see you probably never because you never want to hear from me again. Or we can go by um, <clears throat> Wendy's drive through, and then you can come hear me speak, okay? And I kid you not, I, now, again, I, I, I like to tell the truth and be fairly straightforward, and so I say, you know, hey, we got two options. Option number one is, you know, go home. Option number two, Wendy's, and, and hear me speak. And this is how you know she's a keeper. She said, I'm good with a, I'm good with a junior bacon. I'm like, oh, Jesus is real. <laughs> Because one, Junior Bacon's, am I right? Number two, at the time, they were on the 99-cent value menu. I'm like, treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven. <clears throat> so, so we go to the drive-thru, Wendy's, third date, hear me speak. We end up at Steak and Shake, and, and from that day forward, um, that's what we did. I don't know if you guys still do this or not. You should. It's called Define the Relationship, which basically where you say, hey, I like you. I want to pursue you. I want to go out with you. And they say, hopefully, yes. <laughs> Although after a 99-cent junior bacon, perhaps they would say no. Um, <clears throat> but that was... It ended up being one of those things where, obviously, that's not how we planned it. And sometimes the, the best trips are the ones that go the least according to plan. But if we're being honest, when it comes to life, oftentimes the things that go the least according to plan are the things that hurt the most. And, and that can, can go from a ton of different areas and directions. Perhaps it's, um, it's school. You were headed down a path educationally. You had a thought of what you wanted to do, of what you thought you were going to do, and you were going to go to this one particular school, and you applied to that school, and you didn't get in that school. Perhaps for you it was a uh, major that you didn't get into. You got in the right school, but for whatever reason, the major just didn't work out, and you didn't get accepted in. Uh, you graduated, and you went for a job, and you thought you were going to land your dream job out of college, and then you ended up working somewhere where you felt like, I could have done this without a college degree. And life just didn't go like you planned, and it happens to all of us. Perhaps it was a relationship. You started it, and you thought we were going to go down this path, we're going to go down this path, and it ended way before you thought it was going to end because you didn't perhaps think it was going to end at all. Or you have kids, and you have a family. <laughs> and let me tell you, your kids never go according to plan. They do everything but the plan. Put on your stinking shoes one more time, you know. But, but you had a, an idea of plan of what your marriage was going to look like and what your family was going to look like, and it just didn't happen like you thought. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you why. Because we all, whether we have ever actually articulated them or not, have plans and intentions and dreams, but none of our dreams include pain. You ever think about that? No one goes to bed at night dreaming, or if I ask you, man, what are your wishes, hopes, and dreams? Which, by the way, was my, I think, second or third question um, out of the gate. Hey, my name's Ben. Nice to meet you. Lindsay, cool. What do you do? Um, this was legitimately first 10 minutes of our first blind date. What's your dream in life? I'm not trying to date a scrub who has no ambition, by the way, okay? <laughs> yeah, she had a good answer. Anyway... <clears throat> But the deal is we all have that. But none of us, none of us 
playing pain into our dream, but the inevitability of life is that life doesn't go according to plan most often because there is pain and suffering involved. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is talk about this guy named Joseph who had a plan, or at least God had a plan for him. He had a purpose. He had a passion. He had a gifting. He had a wiring. And yet, extraordinary pain. And as we uncover this, what I think is that as we walk through, not just seasons of life, but sometimes it's most of life that doesn't go according to our plan. As we walk through that life, that progression, I think oftentimes we have a tendency to kind of shirk back and say, God, this doesn't work out how I thought it would, and I thought you gave me a dream, and I thought you gave me a wiring, I thought you gave me a gifting, I thought you had a calling, but it just doesn't look like I thought it was going to look. Perhaps there's something there that we never expected, and it's way more difficult, but perhaps way better than we ever would have planned it. So you got your Bible. You can open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to uh, read a decent amount this morning. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. Uh, Genesis chapter 37. We are introduced to this guy named Jacob. Um, uh, Jacob is the father, we talked about last week, who was renamed Israel. Um, Jacob has a son. In fact, he has a lot of sons, and uh, about 12 of them to be specific. And Joseph is the second to last son in the whole crew. And Joseph is the favored son. So we're going to launch into about halfway through verse 2 of chapter 37 to the story of Joseph, one of the more extraordinary, um, I think, stories in all of ancient literature. Here's what he says. Joseph, being 17 years old, so guys, you remember how you were when you were 17, okay? So I want you to imagine 17-year-old you or, you know, parents, you, your kid is 17 and you're like, oh my gosh, like, that's like, at least just get out of my house. That's what you're thinking, just, just get out. So 17-year-old, think punk, think arrogant, think they know everything, think they're invincible. You know, your frontal cortex lobe is not fully developed yet, another summer for another day. But Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah. I don't know why he went from like Joseph, it's like Joseph, Frank, Zilphah, Bilphah, okay? <laughs> and Joseph, <laughs> classic, brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph is about to learn the um, age-old truth that snitches get stitches, okay? Now, they don't like him because, one, they they think he's already favored. In fact, they're pretty sure he's already favored. Um, But they don't like him. One, he he, he, kind of ratted him out that they weren't doing some stuff right. And then the story kind of deviates and says, let's just talk about actually the favoritism that existed here. Starts it in verse 3. Now Israel, who was Jacob, who was renamed, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. That's a bad thing when even the Bible's like, yeah, we're just going to admit it. He loved him more. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, the significance of that, that we lose the translation, wasn't just, you know, dad liked him, and here's, here's a cool jacket, man. The significance was 
This was ornate. This was to some degree priestly. This was to a degree basically saying, um, Joseph, you are highly favored and you don't have to work in the fields and labor like your brothers do. The way that they would wear their clothes is they would, you know, most times work in the field and they would have like this tunic and it was, you know, cut off at the the arms and and, and the knees or so and they would go out in the field and work. But this probably flowed all the way to his wrist, all the way to his legs. It was beautiful. It was ornate. It was colorful. And this is like him saying, Joseph, you are my favorite. Joseph, you are kind of kingly. You are priestly. You are above everything and everybody else in our family. (laughs) Which, as a guy with 10 older brothers, is probably not the best thing if you already ratted him out. So his brothers see this, verse 4. They saw that their father loved him more than his brothers. This is not just something that they dreamed up. Pause. We're back. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And so he said to them, Hear this dream I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. (laughs) Joseph, you don't work, buddy, but side note. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves. He's like, guys, you won't believe the dream I had. I know you don't like me, but but just bear with me for a second, okay? Because I think God gave me a dream. In other words, I think what's going to happen someday is that you guys are going to bow down to me. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) To which his brothers... responded are you indeed to reign over us are you indeed to rule over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words <laughs> in other words yeah you had a dream but you had to say anything in verse 4 actually it says before this that man they couldn't even say anything they couldn't even say anything peacefully about him they, everything they just they hated him hated him hated him and now they hate him more So good news, Joseph has another dream. Then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, at this point, we're all thinking, Joseph, my man, learn to read a room, okay? That's that's just a bad idea. He said, hear this dream I have dreamed. (laughs) They're like, cool. So hear this dream. Behold, I have another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. So dad, mom, they're counting 11. Okay, one, two, three, okay, yeah, that's us. And the 11 stars were bowing down. <laughs> guys, 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 I know I'm 17, you know, I know you guys hate me, but you guys were bowing down. Even mom and dad, y'all were bowing down to me. Can you guys believe it? <laughs> I don't know how he thought that was going to go over. But then he tells it to his dad. told it to his father, verse 10, and to his brothers. His father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow, down, bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. As you progress forward in the story, you know if it's a couple days, a couple weeks go by. Brothers hate him, brothers hate him, brothers hate him. And Joseph has this dream. Joseph has this calling. Joseph, as we're going to find out, has this gifting. He is an incredible, incredible leader. 
Everywhere Joseph went, he got put in charge of everything there. If you don't know how the story goes, let me kind of cut through some clutter for you. He gets, at the end of this chapter, we're going to read, he gets sold into slavery. He gets sold to a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's house, he, he earns his way up. As he earns his way up, he gets put in charge of everything. The, the way that the scripture talks about it is he w- w- had access to, he had authority over everything. The only thing that he didn't have access to was Potiphar's wife. I mean, everything in the house. Some stuff went down, he gets put in jail. The jail guards start putting Joseph in charge. This guy had a dream, and it was God-given. This guy had a calling, and it was God-given. This guy had a wiring that was undeniably of God. And I don't know how Joseph pictured this, but he certainly didn't picture what was about to happen. Because, again, none of us dream dreams filled with suffering or pain. So <clears throat> Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, tells his son Joseph, Joseph, I want you to go talk to your um, brothers. They're out in the field in a place called Sheshem, and I want you to go talk to them. Just find out how they're doing. You don't have to work. You know me. I love you. You're exempt. So I just want you to go find out how they're doing. He goes to this field. Um, he talks to this guy. They weren't there. He says, where'd they go? He says, I think they said something about going to Dothan. Not Dothan, Alabama, although this is why we don't like Dothan, Alabama, by the way. Um, <clears throat> he says, you know, they, they've gone to Dothan. So he goes over to Dothan. So his brothers see him coming from a long way off. Now, they hate him at this point. And here comes Joseph, who is, by the way, wearing his coat. It's like, my man, can you just leave that off for a day? He's like, boys, in case you didn't forget, who is highly favored in the room? It's me, Joseph coat on, live with it, okay? Daddy loves me, you're working hard. I'm with dad and mom and we're eating soup, okay? We're just hanging out. So his brothers see this. They saw him from afar, verse 18. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into pieces in one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Verse 21, but Reuben, who was the soft-hearted one, heard it. He rescued it out of their hands, saying, let's not take his life. He said, shed no blood. Let's throw him into a pit in the wilderness, but not lay a hand on him. And it kind of says as a side note that he did that so he could rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So sure enough, Joseph goes to him. They beat him. They strip him of his clothes. They throw him in a pit. And he's just sitting in there. I was thinking, I mean, what was going through Joseph's mind as he was in there? Is he thinking, okay, my brother's just giving me a hard time. I mean, 10 older brothers, right? There had to be some bullying going on. Is he just thinking, okay, they're giving me a hard time? Is he think like, okay, this is getting real? They just beat him up and they obviously don't like him. They threw him in a pit. Somewhere along the way, This for Joseph has to create this sense of like cumulative, okay, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. And about this time, he probably starts to get worried, doesn't know what's going to happen. Perhaps here's his older brother saying this outside of this pit that he's in. We don't know if they can hear him or not. But Judah, we're going to skip down to verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it? If we kill our brother and conceal his blood, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Now, this guy, he's the entrepreneur of the group, okay? He's the guy who's like, man, we could kill him. We could just leave him. Oh, we could make some money on this, right? He is, I mean, he's flipping stuff. And so he's like, hey, <laughs> Ishmaelites, I got this brother. What you think about him? You know, how much, how much do you want to pay for him? And he says, come on. It's almost like he's trying to sell him. He's trying to cast vision. We're going to get paid. We don't have to hurt our brother. We just sell him. He'll be fine. So they go along with it. They see this kind of caravan. That's coming along. His brothers listened to him, verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by and they threw down and they drew Joseph up from and lifted him out of the pit. <clears throat> they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, let me kind of give you a heads up about a couple things. There are some incredible parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus, who was the one and only son, the favored son, the only son of God. Joseph, who was the favored son of his father. Jesus, who was arrested. Joseph, who was arrested. Jesus, who was sold by those closest to him. Joseph was for 20 shekels. Jesus was for 30. I just called inflation. But the truth is, God would be doing something in his pain and in his suffering that would help and ultimately save millions through Jesus and thousands through Joseph. We'll get to that story in a few, the rest of that story in a few weeks, but, but, but come back to this part where he says, when, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. Where shall I go? They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood They sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. (laughs) Like there was a question, right? Like, my man, we only have one coat of many colors in this whole family. Like, whose is it? Father, identify this for us. And he identified it, verse 33, and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments. Jacob's the father, who's Israel, kind of returns back and says, Jacob, let's humanize this guy a little bit. And put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. What's interesting about this is this isn't just the death of Joseph's dream. This is the death of his father's dream as well. This dad is this son that he loved so much. He loved so dearly. This son that was highly favored that he was just, you know, I I know perhaps it didn't write, but I just, you know, this is my son. This is my favored son. Probably somewhere around this time, Joseph is realizing it's, it's getting real. Like I had this dream. I had this thought. I had this plan. I had this intention. And he had his gifting and he had his wiring and he had his calling and he had his purpose. He had his plan. But now he's on the back of probably some cart headed for literally only God knows where to be sold to only God knows who. And in that moment, what do you think Joseph thought about his dream? What do you think Joseph thought the thought and the probability that his dream would become 
a reality. You see, whenever we go through pain and suffering, in the inevitability of what God has called us to, in the inevitability that doesn't unfold how we thought it would, we often question, was that calling? Was that purpose? Was that plan real? Joseph gets picked up. Verse 36, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, God's already working and moving this in a way that Joseph has no clue. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to walk through this of saying, how do we actually, instead of, instead of seeing our pain, instead of seeing how the story unfolds different than how we thought it would, how do we, instead of just bowing out and saying, God, this is not what I signed up for, how do we instead stop and lean into what God has actually called us to? Pause again. You see, the truth is, and, and, and here's, here's honestly really all I have to say this morning. We, as people, we love the dream with its glory, but we hate the pain of the story. But every story has pain. Every story that ultimately brings God glory has pain. And we don't write that. And so I think what happens to us is when we experience that, we just push back or we check out or we think, God, you aren't in this. And for some of us, right, it's like Joseph. Arguably, the reason he did this was basically he created it for himself. Now, I would absolutely argue that Joseph's pain, the Joseph's suffering, being sold into slavery, then getting put into jail. By the way, he was sold into slavery, and he was there for not like a semester or a few months or a short. He was there for a probably a decade, ten years. Joseph is in slavery to only get thrown into jail for about another three and a half years. Joseph's calling was there. Joseph's plan was there. Joseph's wiring was there. Joseph's gifting was there. But it didn't unfold like Joseph thought it would. And as we walk through this together, here's all I want you to know. Is that though your pain, the pain that maybe you're walking through right now, might be because of something you did, or to be honest and be fair, it might have nothing to do with you at all. So outside of your circumstances, so outside of your control. I mean, it just happened. It happened to you. In fact, perhaps for you, it was the consequence of other people's decisions that you had no control over. But right now, you're walking through a season of pain and of difficulty. But here's what I want you to know. Though that might be true, your pain, your pain can be turned by God to be used in your story to ultimately bring him glory. You see, the reality is, is what Joseph would learn in Potiphar's house, 
Joseph would one day be over the entire nation, the entire kingdom of Egypt. It says that he looked at Pharaoh, who was literally over. He was Pharaoh. He was king. He could tell anybody anything at any time, any place. He looked at Pharaoh as if he was a father to Pharaoh. But Joseph learned this. Joseph grew. God had to take Joseph through this. And it's not that God chose this idea of Joseph, you're going to you know, be arrogant. Joseph, you're going to sin. Joseph, you're going to do this. But here's what God did. God was willing to work through that pain of his story to create a story that ultimately glorified Joseph. We just buy into the temporal narrative as opposed to the long-term narrative that perhaps my pain and my story will ultimately bring God's glory. We have a very short view. Joseph almost 15 years, inexplicable, and it changed in a day. But if he hadn't been faithful that entire time, it would have been a totally different story. Let me ask you this. We all want to, if you're a Christian at least, we want to bring God glory. We say, yeah, God, you know, use me, send me, I'll go, glory. You know, God, I tell people, God, I want to do something for you. And I want, you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people, I want my friends, my family, you know, I want everybody to come to know you. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to go through the pain of the story that virtually everyone who ever did anything significant for God endured that would ultimately bring him glory? Are you willing to go through the pain of the story to glorify God with the dream and the gifting and the wiring he's put inside of you? We buy in again to this false narrative that glorifying God is this wonderful thing, this easy thing. <clears throat> All the disciples, by the way, were executed, except for one who was, you know, basically boiled and then, you know, sent off to a different island in exile to live the rest of his life in a cave. The beautiful thing about this, the beautiful thing about this is as weird as that sounds, and if you're, you know, relatively new to church, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm coming back. That sounds really intense. Let me, let me, let me tell, you, tell you the beautiful thing. Here's, here, here's where it is. One, we don't do it because we, we have to. We do it because the glory of God is what matters most in our lives. And life is inevitably painful for anybody and everybody. So why not at least choose to leverage it for the only thing and the only person that matters? Right? Think think about this. We talked about this actually last week, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is talking. He said, man, you know, we should have the same mindset of Jesus. You know, Christians, we should have the same mindset of Jesus. And, And here's what it is, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't leverage the God card. Instead, he he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He became, in the very form of a human, he became a servant. He became obedient, obedient to death on a cross. He humbled himself. He became obedient. He said, God, your glory is the only thing that matters. The the way that it it talks about it is it says says this, and I love the way it phrases it. For the joy set before him, for the joy that Jesus knew, man, I am going to, I am going to glorify my heavenly father. I'm going to glorify God that, yo, the, the, though the cross is going to be extraordinarily and excruciatingly painful, it was joyful on the other side. And he saw that and said, I am not going to let this temporal pain 
Make me lose my focus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The thing I love about Jesus is he has never asked us to do anything that he has not done first. He saw, he knew that we're all rebellious. He knew that we all have sinned. He knew that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. He knew that innately inside of each one of us, man, we're sinful. He's holy. We are fundamentally incompatible with God. I can be a better person, sure. But at the end of the day, I'm only bettering a version of a sinfulness and I'm still sinful and he is God. He is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. And he did not expect me to perfect my way into his good graces. Instead, he sent his son for us. And Jesus said, man, Paul said, and I look at this, it's like this joy that was set before him that he knew he was redeeming all mankind, that he endured the cross. Are you willing to go through the pain of the story to ultimately bring God the glory? And the good news is you don't have to do it yourself. You have a God with you who has gone before you. So if you're, if you're here and you're walking through a season of life, and maybe it's just so difficult Nothing you ever would have expected, just pain. And it's it's difficult to not think about it. It's difficult to even hear these words. Here's what I want you to know. It might be possible. It might be possible that you had an idea of what the dream was going to look like. And it might look like that. It might look look better than that. Maybe it looks totally different than that. Or maybe that dream is never going to be a possibility again. Maybe that family that you thought you have is never going to be a possibility. Maybe that family that you thought you had because you were married and things are going well, but something happened, somebody made a decision, and now all of a sudden that family, I mean, they're gone. They're in a different city, in a different place, and it's not being restored. I want you to know this this morning. You are not beyond the redemptive love of God, and though your story might be excruciatingly painful, God can redeem it for his glory. And so don't you dare think that you were disqualified because if you had a God who so loved you, he gave a son to die for you. I want you to know this. You are not disqualified from ultimately bringing him glory. And I think what God is looking for is a group of people that says, God, I don't look forward to pain. I don't look forward to suffering, but God, if it brings you glory, that's the ultimate joy in my life. Let me take this out of the spiritual. I'm going to say this last thing and then we're going to close. The truth is, we do this all the time, right? You don't actually like eating kale, okay? You don't actually like running, and I know that. I've done it, okay? But you do it. Not because you like it. You might grow to like it. I don't think anybody woke up one day and was like, man, I'm eating grass today. This is going to be fantastic. (laughs) You're like, my man, spring break's coming up, you know? Got to get in. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Big dog. Here's all I'm saying. Let's leverage your life for the only thing that matters. In these next couple weeks, I just want to simply walk through the the process of what many of us go through in suffering and say, how can we understand this, that God is actually doing something perhaps greater than we ever could have imagined? Because though Joseph went through more pain than he ever thought he was going to go through, he also walked into a story that was so much bigger than he ever thought possible. God can use you. God is not done with you. The story is always painful. But anybody who has ever done anything significant for the glory of God has walked through a story of pain in the process. So let's not 
be shocked, surprised, or feel disqualified because it's uncomfortable. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much. I'll pray for any of my friends who are hearing this this morning. Maybe this is just so difficult to hear. It's so tough to hear because they just got stuff and they've got life and there's so many things that have happened. And, and God, I, I, I empathize. And, and I just pray that your presence, your loving presence, your Holy Spirit which around each and every person. God, that we would leverage our lives for the only thing that matters, which is you and your glory and your name and your renown. God, give us the endurance, the patience to bear the weight, the responsibility, the circumstances of whatever story you have us walking in right now. That God, ultimately, our lives would do nothing but glorify you. Pray for anybody who needs wisdom, comfort. Not that we would immediately know why, why this season. Though sometimes we desperately want to know. God, would you help us to simply trust you to know that just like with Joseph just like with Joseph the dream that was more glorious and glorifying to you than he ever could have imagined was also more painful would you help us to walk through the suffering of the story because ultimately our our life's ambition and our dream is simply to bring glory to you, our heavenly Father. We thank you that we have Jesus who did it first, went first, loved us first, sacrificed first, endured first, and for the joy that was set before him of redeeming us, of paying the price for our sin and glorifying you, he endured the cross. Please help us to see the pain and the suffering in the story as a normal part of the process of a life that brings you glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.